Hello and welcome to So What You're Saying Is, I'm Peter Whitrell. Now, uh, before I introduce my special guest today, uh, just a little message here. Uh, we're on about 9.5 million views now on the channel and uh, over 90,000 subscribers. Uh, but uh, if you want to give us a Christmas present, which we would like very much, we'd like to get to 100,000 subscribers. And the way to do that is very, very simple. You just press on the subscription button and it's free. And then after that, make sure that you press on the notifications because that way you get the shows as they come up. Uh, so please do that and uh, make it a very happy Christmas for us. Thanks. Now, my uh, guest today it was one of the very first on the show. Julia Hartley Brewer is known to you as the host of Talk Radio's Breakfast Show, but of course she's been a journalist for many, many years and was on such shows as uh, Have I Got News For You and indeed Question Time. Uh, thank you for coming thank very you. much, Julia. I'm not sure I like the many, many years. Oh, many years, <laughs> just many, just many. Really you, very start, old. you started on, on the um, East London Advertiser, I did, my you? first local paper after journalism training school, yeah, yeah I was East London Advertiser in Bethnal Green. Yeah, but people, don't really do that so much now, do you? No, I, I was yeah very much in favour of getting proper training. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to you know, cover uh, local council committees and then go to the, the fire station and the police station and the ambulance station to go and get stories and knock on doors and the, the tower blocks. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. proper training. Richard Maidley also uh, trained there. So oh, really? Yeah, oh, oh. yes. Lots of dis very highly distinguished journalists. <laughs> it was really, they were really, really good days, actually. Really enjoyed that. You've come actually uh, straight from doing your show. Thank you. Uh, it's doing incredibly well, isn't it? We are doing very well. Our, our, we, we can only see, obviously, we haven't got formal listeners. They do these ridiculous things called radars where people yeah. sort of fill out a booklet about what they listen to, but we can only see what's online. But yeah, our trajectory is basically doing that. And, mm. and only this morning, uh, we, we, we go uh, we're vid on video as well. And this morning, between eight and nine this morning, we had 48,000 people watching on Facebook. Live. Not all the hundreds yeah. of thousands yeah. of listeners, 48,000 thousand people watching the show because we do it it's basically yes. all multimedia and very 21st century now but yeah um, a lot of people are tuning in we are uh, pretty much the only media organization right now in the country who are questioning the lockdown yeah, yeah. and questioning a lot of the madness going on yeah. so I think a lot of people are desperate just to get some sensible debate about the real facts and the, and the real arguments you see this is interesting because you, you say you're the only people really questioning it which I think is right but your attitude, if, I, if I'm right, tell me if I'm wrong, but your attitude has somewhat changed, hasn't mm -hmm. it? It's hardened over, yeah. what, six months? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm old-fashioned. When the facts change, I change my mind. I was uh, certainly in favour of the lockdown early on. It yeah. seemed the argument that were given you know, by the Prime Minister and Chief Medical Officer, Chief Scientific Advisor, SAGE, they must know what they're doing, right? Yeah. Got this terrible disease, it's killing people, body bags everywhere in Italy, and we saw what happened in Wuhan. Um, this is the only way to deal with it. We need to flatten the curve. We, we're going to have overwhelmed hospital. We've got time to build everything up to cope, to make sure people don't get miss out on treatment if they've got the disease. Fine. I already had COVID. I had I caught it on the 16th of March. So before we went into the formal lockdown and was ill for three weeks at home uh, with that, I mean, not very seriously, but certainly, I mean, knocked me for six. Yeah. Um, and lots of my family had it. We all caught it at the same event. Um, so, yeah, I was fully signed up to it. I mean, very early on, though, I started questioning whether this was a good idea and talking to people like Professor Carol Sikora uh, about the, the knock-on effects of a lockdown, saving COVID lives, but costing cancer lives, uh, heart disease and yeah. other people people not taking their children to A&E because they were so fearful of the disease and then seeing the economic effects so within certainly a month or so I was thinking well hold on a minute three-week lockdown it's turning into much longer lockdown and certainly by uh, late spring early summer I was saying hold on 
the cost of this is far too great. And at that point, I think the government had got locked in to the lockdown yeah. and, and the public had, the British public signed up fully to this idea. And um, ever since then, yeah, I mean, totally opposed to the tears, totally opposed to the, uh, the lockdown too. Um, and we'll be opposed to the lockdown three, which I think we're inevitably going to be in because Boris Johnson said we won't have one. And that's pretty much a guarantee, meaning we will come January. Because when we had last week, you know, this thing, the new tiers being announced and everything, mm. I mean, as you say, it was effectively a lockdown by any other For name. For 99% of us, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you, can't, if you can't have another household in your home... Yeah. If you can't go and sort of say hello to somebody and meet them for a, a, a coffee or a cup of tea or, or a pint uh, in, in a public place, I'm telling you, that is a lockdown. People being told to work from home. Uh, yeah, you're allowed to get your hair cut. You're allowed to uh, go to a non-essential shop. Well, uh, go to the gym. I mean, why weren't, if it's safe now, why wasn't it safe then? Yeah. Um, it's either safe or it's not. So which is it? Um, this is a lockdown in all but name. It's lockdown number three. Yeah. How do you feel about the way that generally people have reacted to it, Judah? I mean, because, you know, I know this is a very wide question, but mm. if you take the, take the British, right? Yeah. You know, this is, okay, a cliche, but nevertheless, I always sort of felt that the British had this kind of truculent, <laughs> you're not going to, you know, boss me around, actually, yeah. particularly about their liberties. Yeah. But it doesn't appear to have been that way, does no. it? No. I, I think it's fascinating how, how much we have behaved as, as, as many other European countries have behaved. And one of the reasons why, for instance, we were Brexiteers, I think it's because we do have a very different history. We haven't you know, lived under totalitarianism. We haven't lived under fascism, under uh, police states. We, we, we are, our police are largely unarmed. It's policing by consent. It's a very different not just long term, but very, you know, our, our, our living history is very different in terms of our relationship as individuals with the government and with the police. Um, so I, I was I was encouraged in the first lockdown that actually there was such a community spirit. I was out there clapping, you know, uh, for carers and uh, and felt quite, you know, quite moved by this community spirit, this sense that we were all in it together and, and you know, loved, for instance, you know, the Rishi Sunak announcing all this help for businesses and things. And I really felt wow, you know, this is the country coming together after all the horrors of Brexit and, uh, you know, not of Brexit, but of the battles over Brexit. And I really felt that, you know, that this was like a, a new a new dawn for us. And, 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 and this, was, this was a terrible thing that was happening that was going to have good outcomes. And then I realised that actually this, this wasn't us coming together and doing the right thing. This was us sort of being sheep. This were people being herded. Um, we, even when the evidence was clear that it was wrong and that the lockdown was doing more damage than it was doing good, people were, were not only desperate to be scared, they were desperate to be told what to do and, crucially, they were desperate for other people to be told what to do. So you awful, awful people going out to a restaurant, how dare you kill a granny? You know, how are you killing a granny by mm -hmm. going to a restaurant sitting metres away from someone else outdoors, for goodness sake? Um, People, it seemed, were, were, were desperate to have more restrictions on not just theirs, but other people's lives. And we can see this if we're going to trust the polling at all. And I've really got question marks about yeah. a lot of it, that, that people are really keen to carry on a lot of the restrictions on our lives, even after we've got a vaccine. I mean, that is terrifying. I, and I feel like we are, as a nation, well, not you or me, I think, and hopefully a lot of people watching this right now or listening to my radio show, we're willing to give away the freedoms for which our forefathers quite literally laid down their lives. What was the point 
of fighting Nazi Germany? What was the point of World War One? What was the point of the Charters? What was the point of of, of women and uh, fighting you know, the suffragettes to fight for their right? What was the point of it all if we are just going to give away our freedoms at the drop of a hat? But do you think that one of the reasons might be that a lot of people, maybe particularly young people, mm. actually just simply don't know about yeah. those freedoms. Yeah, they don't you know, understand. They, they don't even know what they're meant to be protecting. Right? No, indeed. I mean, people are going off to talk about human rights. Everyone's all obsessed yeah, with yeah. human rights, forgetting these these really sort of fundamental things. Not, not you know, some of the human rights people talk about are, are, are not really. They're, they're, you know, they're state-given rights. We're talking about really fundamental things like the right to protest, the right to freedom of speech, the right, the right to you know, be with your family, to be with your friends, to, to the right to work, you know, really fundamental stuff. Um, yeah, I, I, I think a lot of people don't understand how important these things are and, and how once you give them away, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, no, no, I don't no. come from that sort of background, I don't view the state as a sinister body, um, well I didn't <laughs> until, until more recently. Um, once you give those rights away, it's it's often very, very hard to get them back. I think the next battle is going to be demanding, dim, I mean, demanding those rights back. Every single one of those rights we've given away in this murder legislation, I want every last one of those back, and I don't want them ever to be taken away again. You see, there, there, there's this view around that somehow or other April next year mm. is when everything's off. Well, if we're good, Peter, if, if we're, we're good. If we're good. I mean, the, the whole language of it is very much about we are going to be allowed yeah. at Christmas, isn't it? And you say that, you know, we need to get these liberties back. What generally do you think, Julia, is going to be the way Britain looks after this? I mean, I know that's a mm. massive question, but have you got any kind of gut feelings about it? I, I feel very depressed, actually, about... Um, I tr God, I try and look on the bright side. I yes, really do. Yes, but yes. Um, And the, the route out of here. OK, if it's the vaccine, mass testing, I don't think those actually are necessarily the routes out of here because I think the route out of where we are right now isn't any of those things. It is actually, it's a mindset. It is... I'm not calling for non-compliance with the law. I can't. I'm, I'm a I'm broadcaster. I'm Ofcom, you know, controlled. Um, I, I can't do that. I'm, I'm fundamentally someone who... You know, I'm a, I'm a law-abiding citizen. I, I think mm. it's important so that we do all obey the law, whether the police officers are, whether there's a camera on you, you should do the right thing. Um, but I think there needs to be a point where the British public say, up with this, we will not put any more. Um, I'm mad as hell, I'm not going to take yeah. it anymore. Any version of that where they just say, no, the evidence you're giving us of why we have to be this restriction or that restriction is not good enough. Um, we, we, we will not comply with laws which make no sense, yeah. which take away fundamental freedoms without being justified. That emergency legislation, I mean, thank goodness we had the, the six-month sunset clause on it, uh, thanks to people like David Davis. Uh, but again, it goes all the way through to March again. Um, first time round, that was emergency legislation, you know, not having proper debates in Parliament because we were in an emergency. We're not in an emergency. We're not even in statistically worrying excess mortality right now, and yet we're told we have to give up all these freedoms. I, I think the British public are going to have to have a really big wake-up call, and I think they are going to have to realise that you, a lot of the time you cannot trust a lot of what we are being told from on high, and that the experts aren't very expert at all, and they're not being honest. I think an awful lot's going to come out in the public inquiry wash um, I think there are an awful lot of people who are going to um, 
be named and shamed in the future. I think people uh, like like me uh, and and others that the, the the MPs fighting against these measures. I think uh, the, uh, history will look kindly on on us. Um, I, I I think it's going to be a wake up call. I think the British public needs to literally one day wake up and go, this is insane, mm. and we need to stop the madness. I, I don't think any amount of testing or vaccines being rolled out or anything else is going to provide enough of a wake-up call. I think there will always be an excuse yeah, for the Sky yeah. News and the BBC News at 6pm to say, another two people have died of COVID. Time to go back in your homes. Yeah. Have you been uh, surprised by the way the media has handled it on the whole? I mean, it just I've seems to me... Yeah. I spend every single press conference t tweeting madly. Could one journalist yeah. please ask Prime Minister Chris Whitty or Patrick Vance or anyone else who's giving that press conference what the evidence is for the statement they are making? Um, uh, only this morning, I had Robert Jenrick uh, on, uh, on my show, the Housing Secretary. And, and again, people just give this... They, they, they make statements, as does Boris Johnson constantly, which are simply not backed up by the facts. Not, not opinion facts. They will quote things like we saw Boris Johnson talking about that 4,000 a day example scenario. We have Patrick Vallance, the, the you know, 50,000 a day infections. None of these things ever likely to happen. They knew that at the point they said them, they weren't likely to happen. But even when they talk about the past, uh, mass testing is the reason why Liverpool was able to escape tier three, because they had mass testing and that's what brought infections down. <laughs> there is clear evidence from government's own data showing that actually it was early October when the, the peak of infections happened in, uh, in Liverpool. It plummeted, I mean, absolutely plummeted by half down very, very, very steeply uh, for the month and before they brought in mass testing. And indeed, after mass testing was brought in, uh, it plateaued. It stopped going down for a bit, for goodness sake. Um, so unless the mass testers brought in a, a time machine and went back and somehow fixed infection rates for the month beforehand, it is a physical impossibility for mass testing to have been responsible for that. And yet they make these statements and no one challenges them on them. Um, I think the media has been shocking. Whenever the first question it goes to the BBC or Sky, or whatever, the first question is always, or first question, all 20 questions, all along the same lines. Ooh, are you sure, Prime Minister? Is it safe to come out of lockdown? Ooh, are you sure these restrictions are tight enough? What about all the people dying of COVID, Prime Minister? They're obsessed with this stuff. And that's not the... It's not that deaths from COVID don't matter. Of course they do. I know people myself who have died of COVID. Um, but it's about a proportionate response. Mm -hmm. In 2018, uh, we had a um, mass flu outbreak. 2,000. We lost like 45,000 excess lives to a flu outbreak. I was a political editor of a national newspaper then. I don't even recall writing about that, no, exactly. let alone the country being in lockdown. The fact that there is no one in the mainstream media asking what is your evidence? Why are you brought in a policy without any evidence? And, and asking that again and again and again until the evidence is produced. And when the evidence is produced, checking and questioning the evidence. This is, this is journalism 101. Mm. But also it's Parliament, isn't it? You, you mentioned there yeah. that you were a political editor with mm. the Express. Sunday Express, yeah. And uh, one thing that's been uh, very marked is the way in which Parliament is entirely sidelined and, mm. and indeed no one's actually seems to be that worried about it. No, uh, and again, we, we could understand in the early stages, difficult, people were all locked up at home. Um, but even when Parliament's been back with a lot of people in the chamber, it, there's only, it's only really been the, uh, the, the, the COVID group of Tory backbench MPs yeah. who have actually been standing up to it. And that's now up to 70 MPs and 
and, uh, and they're the ones saying we need to see the evidence. What amazes me is how many other MPs say, well, yeah, we need to see the evidence. And when the evidence isn't produced or is produced and doesn't back up what the government says they need to do, um, they still allow it to happen. So we had that 10 p.m. curfew on pubs now extended to 11 p.m. For, for many areas that are allowed to have pubs open. There's, there's simply no, I mean, it's not that the evidence isn't very strong. There is no evidence whatsoever that a pub serving alcohol without a substantial meal or a pub serving alcohol at one minute past 10 as opposed to 9.59 or, or people leaving at 11 or 10 makes any difference whatsoever. And yet these, these restrictions have been allowed. If you are taking away fundamental freedoms from people, and yes, you know what? Going to have a drink in a pub is a fundamental bloody freedom for a lot of people. It's actually the only joy a lot of people have in their lives. Necessity. Um, necessity for some of us, <laughs> yes. Um, but if you are taking away, and, and at that point also, the livelihoods of the people who work in the hospitality industry, the third biggest employer in this country, by the way, small point worth making, um, if you're taking this, you should provide a bloody good reason for it. And they haven't. And the idea that we should have policy made without any evidence, without any justification, and that our elected representatives should just nod along and say, OK, I think is shocking. Labour Party, I mean, Keir Starmer saying, oh, we, you know, we, these measures should happen. They, whatever the measure is, say it should be sooner, longer, deeper, harder, more mm. severe. Um, there is no measure that is not tough enough for them. But of course, the Labour Party is safe in the knowledge mm. that you can always blame the government for every COVID yeah. death. You can blame the government for every non-COVID death, of which there will be tens of thousands more of younger people who will die as a result. Also, you get to blame the government for all the economic fallout, all the jobs lost, uh, all the businesses that close, and they will be the ones reaping the benefits come 2024. So they're on to an absolute winner. And the fact that the Tory MPs are going along with this insanity, I mean, they should do it on a moral ground and on a philosophical ground, but they should also be doing it just from pure self-interest. They should be questioning everything the government is saying. On this show, we, we, we obviously concentrate mostly on kind of cultural matters. Mm. I mean, during this whole period as well, hugely important things have been going on, which you do talk about on mm. your show. Again, in the mainstream media, not that much. But there have been sort of various attacks or various proposals for, put forward on, for example, free speech. Yeah. Um, I wanted to start by asking you, first of all, uh, Darren Grimes, for example, does a show a bit like this. Um, we had that shocking situation where he was hauled in or was going to be hauled in by the Met yeah. for something that somebody said, uh, David Starkey said, on his show. Yeah. Now, you know, you're a journalist and a, a broadcaster. Uh, these, these things are extraordinary that they're sort of happening. Um, uh, one, again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it seems to me that people are being sort of materially tightened up, if you like. Yeah. But then these psychological restrictions yeah. are coming on. But this was happening long before lockdown and yes. COVID. Yes. But perhaps it's more exposed now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a young a young man being being told, you know, told he's going to be hauled in for a police interview yeah. under caution uh, because of something someone else yeah. said. Yeah. Now, I don't agree with David Starkey on, on an awful lot of things. Um, I don't think he's a particularly nice person. I don't think he should lose all of his jobs because of his political views and his views on race, on women, on whatever. I mean, you know, I, I, I personally think that, you know, we, we should allow for people to hold views we don't like. I, 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 I think we should be able to challenge people's views and it's better that we know them. But the idea that a journalist should be prosecuted 
for something someone else has said to them. Um, it's interesting that we don't see that when you know, Sky or BBC yes, interview exactly. yeah. people. I mean, did we think about questioning David Dimbleby when he had a, um, Nick Griffin from the uh, BMP mm. on? Um, I think it's quite bizarre. And, and I always had a lot of sympathy for Darren anyway. A, I think he's a lovely bloke who's been persecuted. That's the only word for it, persecuted uh, from the, the Ramona side for, for years and years of his life since Brexit referendum. Um, and all allegations all have been disproven against him. Um, but um, I can completely understand, and I know this when I'm doing my show, it is perfectly possible for, you know, even if you're interviewing a cabinet minister, and I've been doing this for years, someone is saying something, but someone is saying something in your ear, or you, you're just looking and you, you know, you, you're just realising, oh God, I've got that other interview, and you're trying to find the pieces of paper for that, and you're not actually concentrating on what the person is saying, and you're nodding along because you're on camera. And I think it's perfectly easy, especially for a, a young, new interviewer to be doing that. Um, I know Darren Grimes, as you do, not a racist bone in the boy's body, absolute load of nonsense. But it's, the, it's this idea that, that we should be wary of talking to anyone who doesn't have you know, acceptable views. Yeah, yeah. Bearing in mind that your and my views apparently are unacceptable. I mean, mm. we've been called far right mm. for being Brexiteers, for mm. goodness sake. I mean, I've been called that on air by people. Far right. I mean, basically accused of being a Nazi for, for, for wanting to have an accountable, democratically elected government having the say over my country's rules and laws. I mean, that's mind-blowing. But this is all about shutting us up. This is all about controlling what people can say and by doing so, controlling what people can think. And it is terrifying and Orwellian. And everybody should fight for it. And I don't care how much you dislike the person saying something or how much you dislike what, dislike what mm -hmm. they say. You should march in their, the streets for their right to say it. But uh, this is all happening under a Conservative government as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I, what was particularly interesting to me in, the, in this, in this uh, particular field of free speech was we've had the situation in Scotland recently, yep. you know, where the, 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 there is this attempt with hate speech to bring hate speech prosecutions into the home, as it were, you know, yeah. that basically you can, you can be prosecuted for something you say in your own home. Then we have the Law Commission here, mm. Quango, proposing this. Now, I don't know about you, Julie, but why didn't Morris just sort of come out and say, well, they can say that if they Not gonna like, happen. but forget it. But no, yeah. they don't. That's the thing. And we had that also over, say, you know, the trans self-ID, yeah. whereas Liz Truss is the one who sort of you know, went, no, absolute yeah. madness. We're not having that. A man can't just say on a Wednesday that he's a woman and we have to accept that uh, and, and then see a lack of safety for women and girls in their, their safe spaces like changing rooms and the like and indeed prisons as well. Um, I don't understand why the Tories don't do that because we know that you know Dominic Cummings was focus grouping everything. Surely this is really basic stuff. This would be very popular stuff of the people who are aware of it happening. And and what I don't understand again is why the government isn't just saying no, we're not having any more of this. Um, the, the, and they should be getting rid of the hate speech laws themselves because they're subjective. There is no other crime where it is subjective that, I mean, that is it subjective that someone was murdered? Is it subjective if I steal this bowl? Is it, is it subjective? The bowl has either been stolen or it hasn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we can have a court case about whether or not I was the one who stole it or, or, or whether you know, um, um, something else happened to it. But the idea that you just might think that it's been stolen mm -hmm and accuse me of it being stolen, and I then have a record, which is that it was a, was it a non-crime hate offence. That, that's genuinely what would happen. And, and that's, that's crazy. And that is 1984 Orwellian yeah. lunacy. Um, crimes should not be <laughs> someone's subjective opinion. Um, and they certainly, we shouldn't be trying to control what people say and what people think. 
I believe in public as well as private. I'm a great believer that you tackle bad ideas by offering a better idea. Um, it, there, is no, there is no idea, I mean, the conspiracy theories about you know, vaccinations, about um, um, anything, you know, the, 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 anything that's going on in the world right now, the Great Reset and all of this, um, you can tackle all of these things. I mean, the Trumpian claims, you can tackle them all by, by giving facts. By, by airing proper debate, by asking people to produce a rationale, produce evidence. That is how you defeat bad ideas, not by saying you can't say that, or worse though, you can't think it. This is an incredibly worrying uh, thing. As you say, it has to be said so many times mm. that hate crime, like the bowl here, mm. is basically something which requires no evidence, as you say. Mm. It requires no evidence. It could be sort of like, that was a hate crime. I feel that was a hate crime. Even if you no, not even it. if you feel. Um, yes. The bloke over there yeah. could uh, think that he thought it was a hate crime. He thought that I said something to you that he found yeah. offensive, or thought you might find offensive. You report that to the police, and even if they find no evidence of anything having happened, it still goes on my record. Mm. I, are we mm. sorry? Are we living in China? Because mm. mm. I, I mean, that this is the sort of thing that would happen in China or North Korea. You know, I mean, why don't we just drag everyone off to the, to a detention camp at this rate? Um, but this does. It, it isn't just happening to people in the public eye. This is happening at a much lower level mm. scale to ordinary people who are told that your views are not appropriate, not acceptable, even if they are giving perfectly reasonable, common sense, majority held views on issues like you know they're not being keen on Black Lives Matter because of the, the idea that defunding the police is an insane idea, mm. um, um, or, or, or that you know they don't believe that a man can also be a woman at the same time as mm. being a man. I mean, this is mm. common sense stuff to yes. most of us. That is now a hate crime. The thing is, you see, you brought us on to that quite, quite well, because during this whole period of COVID that we started with, I think we've established we're not conspiracy theorists. But it does appear to me that many of our institutions have taken the opportunity oh, yes. to put certain agendas through. Now, the BBC were actually quite open about it when, with the proms business. They sort of said, well, the fact that there's not an audience last night of proms uh, is a perfect opportunity to reset or to refresh or whatever they yeah. use. But we see this through all of our museums and institutions, that this kind of, ah, right, now is our time. Do you, do you, do you mm. think that that isn't oh, just a coincidence? Absolutely taking advantage of it. And again, I think Black Lives Matter again, yeah. I think exploiting the, the horrible murder of George Floyd using that. Um, absolutely. I mean, the National Trust, the, all the museums, all mm. the, I mean, everybody, the, 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 the toppling of statues, the, everything has ju is just a great big excuse for people who frankly have got too much time on their hands. Mm. Frankly, you need to have some real problems. You really do, people. I see their laptops and their lattes at home um, to, to, to try and just sort of make this massive big cultural change that no one has demanded, no one has asked for, most people don't think is needed. Um, this constant battering of our culture, our language, our freedoms, our values, our history, um, this, this, this teaching us that everything we do is wrong. Driving a car makes you a bad person. Um, uh, Working you know, from home we, make, yeah, makes you more susceptible to racism. Apparently. Yes, apparently. Yeah, you know, we're all racist. <laughs> we're all we're all nasty colonialists. Mm. We're all we're all gas guzzling, killing the planet. We don't get me. 
the, the, we're just constantly it's, it's you know venturing onto social media now indeed onto you know bbc website or or sky news now you may as well just have someone come up and punch you in the face because you're, you're mm. constantly told what a terrible person you are i mean god forbid if you're white and straight i mean you, you're a white straight man and god, i mean god almighty how dare you leave your house anymore mm. you know um and i just think that most of the british public are saying What's going on? Mm. And, and it's really easy to say, oh, it's just happening on social media. Oh, it's just happening on the mm. Guardian website. It doesn't matter. Rubbish. Yeah. This stuff is permeating every aspect of our lives. It's in your child's school. It's in the universities. It's into every workplace with unconscious bias training, which starts from the presumption that you're white and you're a racist. Yeah. Well, excuse me if I don't want to attend that. Um, the assumption that, that, that young men going to university need to be told not to rape. Well, the men I was at university with managed to know that already, thank yes. you very much. Yeah. Um, um, this, this idea that we all need to be re-educated, um, that we've all, we've all got everything wrong so far. Again, who decided this? When did we vote for it? When did we agree as a nation this was the case? And who are these people who've put themselves in charge of our cultural values, our histories, our views, our, 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 what, what, what it is to be British? Who? Who put them in charge? Because I don't remember that election. What I do remember is a, is a Brexit vote, and I remember an election in December last year where I thought we were voting against a lot of that stuff. Yes. And I thought we had an 80 majority for the Tory party because people thought they were not signed up to a lot of that madness. I would really like Boris Johnson and the Tories to give a very, very, very strong, preferably in legal terms, uh, signal that they are absolutely not signed up to it. But they're not doing anything, are they, no. Julia, really? This is and I don't know who they're afraid of. Yeah. I don't know who they're afraid of because the vast majority, and I don't mean 60%, I mean like 95% uh, of people, even, you know, I grew up on the left, and loads of friends and family members who are you know, staunch Labour voters and like, um, they all think it's mad as well. Mm. So where are these mm. people? Well, they're all over Twitter and they're in all of these quangos um, and, and ensconced in the media, mm. as we know. And um, they are utterly unrepresentative of ordinary people. They view ordinary voters, ordinary British people, with utmost disdain and contempt. Mm. Um, and I'm afraid uh, we need to stand up to them and we need to stand up to them very, very strongly because you know, I, I'll, I'll probably, I'm going to probably, I would predict if I'm going to lose my job, I will lose my job because of something that is considered to be beyond yeah. the pale by yeah. this group of people, even though I'll be speaking words which would be echoed by 95% of the population. They will come for the high profile mm -hmm. people as they already have, and they'll work their way down. And eventually no one's going to be able to say or think anything that isn't the um, accepted norm of the, uh, the Twitterati. Um, I think the time to fight back is, uh, well, about six months ago, but certainly now. Yeah, no, I think beautifully put, actually. I think it is a terribly worrying thing because there seems to be no pushback. I don't know when people mm. call up your, you know, show, yeah. or you yeah. get feedback. Mm. There is a palpable exasperation and also anger, anger, but also genuine sadness. Why are people? Why are people attacking our history? Why are people yeah. attacking? What, what, why do people think that yeah. everything that's happened in this country is terrible? You know, we, you know, we're, we're not the only country responsible for slavery, we're, but we are the only country that, that led the, the abolition of slavery. I mean, you know, yes, we had an empire. Yeah, so did lots of other countries. Mm. Um, and every empire treated people badly. And you know what, if we're going to do reparations uh, for, for you know, slavery across the Atlantic, uh, well, I'd like to 
some reparations from the Romans, thank you very much. I mean, it's, it's utterly nonsense. Yeah. This, you know, most sensible people understand that until about 100 years ago, probably less than that, the world was a pretty nasty place everywhere. And everyone had it pretty rotten, frankly, unless you were the top, you know, 0.1% of the aristocracy. Um, and, and life's got an awful lot better. And I think most people, I'm sure most people watching this would agree, we, we are living in a world where, um, you know, infant mortality's gone down, maternal mortality's gone down. And people are living, you know, 20, 30, 40 years longer than they used to live 100 years ago. People are, are living at a level of, of un, I mean, unforeseen riches in terms of uh, people, you know, owning their own homes, cars, having enough to eat. People are living better, longer, healthier, more fulfilling lives around the world than they have ever done in the whole history of human beings. And, and, and this country, I think, has never been a better place for, for people to live in, in terms of sexism and racism and homophobia and things. We are, we are absolutely in the right direction on all of those things. And yet we're constantly told it's a terrible place. The world's a terrible place. Britain's a terrible place. And I just don't think that echoes the reality for most people. I think most people, and they love this country. Uh, they, they, want, you know, they want the best for this country. And they, they love their fellow countrymen and women and want the best for them. And I, I would love us to get back to a place where we were sort of, you know, all on the same side, uh, heading in the same direction, instead of people trying to atomize us and pull us apart and say, you have to hate that person because they're a different color. You have to hate that person because they're a different sexuality. Um, I, I just don't think that's where the vast majority of the British people are at. And, and, I, and I really would like a government that, that represented and, and reflected that. Well, I'm with you on that, Julia, but I think we're going to have a long wait. But uh, anyway, look, thank you very, very much for coming back. Thank you Actually, for inviting you, me back. You were one of our very first guests, as I said, and in fact, you hiked our views with your interview Ooh. right up. So, um, very you know, proud to very, be part very, of what is a, a fantastic, <laughs> fantastic podcast. I'm very, very proud to be invited back. Oh, thank great. you. Well, thanks very much indeed. Thanks. Uh, that's it for this week, and uh, we'll see you next time. So as I said at the beginning, uh, please do subscribe, won't you? Thanks. Bye. Thank you.